This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Amen. Thank you guys for having me back. It really is an honor. That picture up there is um, taken about a year or so before my last year, so there's still several people in that picture here, which is great. So many faces that I remember, so many pillars of this church still here. Um, Let me just say to start out, it is a blessing to worship and pray and take communion with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I really became a Christian in this ministry and grew as a Christian. And no matter how long I'm gone, my heart will always be here. I was born in Christ here, and um, we share Christ. And though I'm, man, so far away, I still feel a unity there, and I hope you do too. And it's just a blessing this morning to pray with you guys, to worship, and to share that. The Lord was doing a great thing when I was here, and he's clearly continuing to do a great thing, bringing lots of children into this room. Um, And I just got a scripture verse from Philippians here I want to share. It's kind of an overall theme for today to share with you. Paul is writing to the church of Philippians after he's planted it and kind of moved on. And he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you guys, 15 years God has been working in this church. And he will continue his good work. And I am looking forward to see it happen. And kind of what I wanted to share on today um, would be maybe a different perspective change. Things I've learned as a Christian educator. Uh, After I left Mosaic, I went to Wheaton College And um, I really felt the calling to become a Bible teacher. I didn't know if it was college level or high school, and eventually it became clear high school level. And that's what I've basically been doing the last eight years is teaching high school Bible. And I've learned a lot of things uh, in that time. And I want to share with you kind of four brief lessons that I've learned over time. Uh, as a Christian educator. Things that I've learned while being in the classroom with freshman students, sophomore students, junior students, and senior students that I hope um, will help as the Lord continues to work in you in another 15 years as he brings it to good work. The first lesson um, that I want to share with you is a bit of a uh, selfish one, uh, is I want to share a lot of gratitude and thanks. The lesson is this, is that as I began to be a teacher, I realized Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship and Mosaic set me up for success as a teacher. It's not me. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. I, my very first interview uh, to get a high school teaching job, the uh, principal asked me, do you like kids? And I went, uh, <laughs> which is not a good sign if you pause and sigh and then say, I can get there. <laughs> um, My heart was in the teaching part, um, but I knew I had a long way to go. And as the years went by, I realized that literally everybody in this community had taught me something that helped me be a teacher. That when I taught my kids, it was kind of you guys teaching through me. 
There's a clip from the movie Aquila and the Bee, uh, I think came back out in 2006. Uh, Aquila here is at a spelling bee contest. She's from the inner city, uh, kind of a tough childhood, and she's been practicing for the spelling bee, which typically is dominated uh, by other people other than her. And she gets to a final word here, and I just want to show this clip, and there's this amazing moment um, I'll spoil the clip, but it'll still be impactful, where she's got a word that she has to spell, but she, she's been studying it, and she knows it, and the key here is that the entire community has been helping her along the way. So when I stand before my students, and I, and I write lessons, and I write curriculum, um, I'm not alone. I'll try to get through this without crying. But you guys built me. And perspective just makes it so aware. Uh, Julie, just being a great friend. We talk movies for hours, <laughs> make lists, Mosaic Cafe, play games for hours. I don't naturally connect with students, but um, guess what I do when I try to? Like, oh, yeah, let me think. Let's play games. Let's, let's make lists together. Let's talk movies. Let's try. Adam. Doing improv for hours, hanging out, joking around. When I need to spice up a lesson and it's just all teaching, we use improv games. <laughs> and I just throw them in there and I go back to those memories. Bill Madden, when I needed a job, uh, desperately, you gave me a job. I had to get up at 4 a.m. <laughs> daily and throw papers. Um, but it taught me discipline. Uh, my first year of teaching, I don't think I would have made it because I was getting up at 4 a.m., going over my lessons. And that's you. That was, that was you who helped me with that. Thank you. Jeremy and Justin Boyds, being male peers, friends, mentors, modeling God. Ken Velarde, who taught me how to love God with my mind. Rhea, how to park 30 cars on grass. Um, but also, a heart of abandonment for God that when I look at my, my students in high school, say, we're not there yet, guys. We gotta go further. I've seen what abandonment looks like. I know what desperate prayer looks like. Gave me this model and this vision. I didn't come up with it. I learned it. The Registers, the Gramajos, Mortons, Williams, learning faithfulness. Daniel, the shoes you gave me, I still wore the first day I taught. <laughs> Might be saying, that was a long time, but thank you for getting me those shoes, <laughs> a little bit of style I had. Um, teaching me community, friendship, prayer. Mario, could point to a lot of things, uh, many of the challenges, but first, of course, is just coming to know the Lord through your ministry. I'm so grateful I'm a Christian to this day because of the sacrifices you've made. A lot of practical things I could point to. As a teacher, we have to do retreats, we have to put on events, and just learning simple things like Take a second, imagine you're going through this event in your mind, uh, simple things like that. Uh, but second, I would say, is more spiritual. It's the unwillingness to accept good enough worship. Um, I know I talked to you about this last night, but just your passion to get worship right at, Christian, at uh, Chi Alpha um, always impressed me. The fatherliness to take us 
time and time again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's teach it again. And in simple ways, because I don't have the fatherliness thing, but uh, we're doing cleanup duty in the cafeteria with a bunch of freshmen, and, and they don't care to clean up a table. They're just kind of putting half effort into it. And it seems simple and weird, but you're flashing my mind, and I bring them around. All right, guys, if we're doing everything unto the Lord, that means clean. Do we feel we did enough good? Let's do it again. <laughs> uh, and just that fatherliness, let's do it right. I'm not just me, but I am all of you guys. Paul says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's talking to the Corinthians. And Mosaic, your ministry, when I'm up there teaching my kids, I'm your letter to them. Each one of you are speaking through me in different ways, whether it's community and friendship or lessons. You've had an impact on me, and believe it or not, you're impacting hundreds of students, and you don't even know it. I want you to think about that for Mosaic today, because as Mario has been preaching about going through valleys, you've got community right here that can gather around you. You're learning skills and being taught tools. I didn't know until I later taught I had them, from you, that when you go through the valleys, this community is around you, and they're constantly teaching. Each one of you have different skills and talents, and we need it all. If you're gonna get through 15 more years as a church, as the Lord continues to do good work, continue to be a community that feeds each other your, your talents, your skills, come to prayer time, share your prayer, your voice of prayer with each other, serve in different capacities, teach in different capacities. Each one of you have something to give that this church needs. The one thing I really wanted to give as a teacher, and you can see it on the screen there, I felt like the church really left out apologetics. If you don't know what the word apologetics means, it means defending your faith. It was one thing that always most interested me, and as a teenager growing up, I always had tough questions, and I never felt I found good answers. So you can see that image there. I always felt like the church just kind of said, you know, just, just believe, and I'm like, that's just not good enough. And so when I became a, a teacher at a Christian high school, my first job was an apologetics class, teaching kids to defend their faith. If you want to go to the next slide. So I poured myself into developing um, great curriculum and lessons uh, to get these kids to believe in the Lord with confidence. And apologetics is good, okay? And I made 10 arguments, a little 10-argument rundown here. Uh, now, all of these arguments we could do entire classes on. we go through the evidence. We'd have class debates on. Um, but the key here is that over the four years they'd be in my classes, they would learn all these 10 arguments, and I just felt in my heart of hearts that they would be so grateful and thankful and would finally get doubt taken care of, and they'd be on fire for God. And uh, just as a side note, we got a few minutes. I want to look at the slides here if I can. Uh, run you through what these arguments are real quick, because some of you in the room right now might actually benefit from hearing briefly what these are. They're what I call the apologetic two-step. The first step is kind of arguing somebody from, there's nothing out there, to, you know what, maybe there is a God. And we're going to use everything from experiential evidence to scientific evidence to logical evidence. The next step are, are four arguments that then argue from, maybe there is a God out there, too. It's the Christian God who's out there, right? 
So think of a court of law, and we would spend whole classes on these with with my teenage students, Uh, but let me run through a few of these real quick for you. First and foremost, the religious experiences argument. Billions of people have lived on this planet, guys. Cops will tell you this. Testimony is more trustworthy when you have a consensus of credible people telling a common story. When you think of humanity, we have billions of people from illiterate to super credible people across continents, across cultures, telling a common story, there's a spiritual realm out there. Whether it's ghosts, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's miracles, billions of people, probably some sociologists say well over half of everyone who's ever existed has reported some kind of supernatural experience. How do we best explain this? Everyone has misunderstood. Are all deceived? Okay, people can be deceived. You've seen a shadow and thought it was something else, right? Or they're lying. People lie, you know, to gain things. But can billions and billions of people throughout history, across cultures, across time, all claiming this really be lying or misunderstood? Because even if one is real, there's a spiritual realm out there, guys. Credibility, consensus, and commonality tell us it's likely that there's a something out there, right? Thomas' argument. Thomas Aquinas said many great arguments. We kind of sum it up into this. There is an uncaused, efficient cause. Well, that sounds fancy. Think efficient as something making a choice. Matter doesn't make a choice. A domino falling over doesn't choose to fall over. What knocks it over? The domino before it, right? What knocks it over? The domino before it and the domino before it. Thomas Aquinas, smart guy, he basically says, okay, well, what knocked the first domino over then? What got the chain of material cause and effect going? Because it can't be material because something had to move it, and then it would just go backwards for infinity. So you have to have some other cause that's not matter. Well, what's the only thing that can cause something that's not matter? And he would say, you know what, a mind. We choose to do something. So Aquinas says, just logic tells us at the beginning of the universe, there had to be some kind of a choice to start everything into motion because it doesn't start itself. Number three, the Kalam argument. I'll go through these really quickly. These are scientific arguments. Kalam is very simple. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe is one of those things that began to exist. Whether we want to argue it it began to exist 10,000 years ago or 15 billion years ago, that's not the point. Modern science tells us it began to exist. Science points to the second law of thermodynamics and many other things we could point to. But whatever begins to exist has to have a cause. Have you ever seen anything pop into existence literally from nothing? What could cause a universe to exist? The universe is all of space, time, and matter. So whatever is outside of the universe is spaceless, it's timeless, and it's immaterial. I would add it has to be powerful to cause a universe and incredibly smart Logic and science are now telling us not only are people experiencing a spiritual realm, that there must be some kind of choice, but that whatever caused the universe should probably be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. Fine-tuning comes along, and science tells us our universe seems to be fine-tuned for life. We could go into that a lot more. Info and complexity tells us that evolution alone doesn't seem to be able to answer the question because it seems like whether it's information like DNA, which seems to require a mind, or complicated biological complexities like the eye or other things needed to kind of have a designer behind it. And then finally, the moral argument that there is a God because we have moral values. In other words, are there really some objective moralities? Is it really wrong to murder? 
If so, where does that law come from? It can't come from us. And if the world just popped into existence from nothing in evolution, there is no moral law. But we all deep down know there is. So where did it come from? Philosophy tells us really the only way it could come from something is something that had authority over us or created over us and gave us this law. All these six arguments just get us to a God, though. There's a spiritual realm. Something seems to have caused the universe, designed it so intricately, and put a moral value within us. But that's, we don't just stop there. I tell the students, because they, they, they grow up with the Bible all their lives, so I say, here's scientific, logical evidence, philosophical evidence, and then I say, and on top of that, you throw everything you've already learned. We take the Bible, we walk them through how it was authored, we walk them through how it was transmitted and how it was trustworthy, and how it, out of every, every single ancient document, there is not a single one that stands up in its authenticity and what we know of how it was transmitted and copied and the copies we have today and its connection with archaeology and external evidence and internal evidence, the Bible stands alone. We could go into the Christ's identity argument, we could go into the resurrection argument, but because of time, I'm going to move forward. But I put all these 10 together, and how dare you tell me Christians don't believe without having any kind of evidence, right? And I thought as a teacher, this was going to win the day. Uh, which leads me to my second lesson. Apologetics is good and necessary, and some of you, I hope, benefited from that real quick run-through of the 10, uh, but it is not enough. It's no replacement for what we call a full-bodied faith. Speak to the mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. Christians don't get brownie points for being stupid, Frank Turek would say. We need apologetics, right? We need to know it's not just a blind faith, that the Bible we trust in really is credible, that we're not flying blindly in the face of science. But guess what? Ready? Satan believes in God. Oh, great arguments. You're right. He exists. I can't stand the guy. And what I learned of my students is many of them just took this as a chance for more pride. Many forgot the arguments, because it's a lot to remember, right? Many just used it as a chance for debating and pride. Many didn't care. Apologetics is great for giving us confidence and clarity, but a poor inducement to love. Parents, sending your kids to a Christian school is a great idea. I teach at a Christian school. Do not be fooled, though. Just a teacher telling them truths is not enough. You know, as a parent, you've told them truths. And if you think somehow that it's being done in a different building from a stranger, that it's going to change things, don't fool yourself. Do not fool yourself. Apologetics are necessary. Make sure your kid is hearing these kind of arguments. But it is not nearly enough. We have many parents who do send them. And they, it's kind of like military school, they think. Oh, I'm just going to pay the money. I'm going to throw money at this issue. And hopefully my kid comes out on the end. There's a detriment to that. Be careful. Because if your kid really doesn't want it, there's a chance it actually hardens their heart toward God. Too much familiarity can breed contempt without love. So let me encourage you. Make sure they're in Christian community. Because an hour and a half in my class, maybe twice a week, is not enough for the 40 hours they're spending on Snapchat, the 30 hours on Netflix, the 20 hours on whatever, right? The world is looking to capture them. And a Christian school and a few apologetic lessons are not nearly enough. Like this, it's a community of teachers teaching in many different ways, apologetics being one of them, 
that capture students. Number three, one of the things we want to protect, uh, as I go faster now, uh, our students from is doubt. Uh, one lesson that I've learned as a teacher is actually doubt, guys, can be really, really good. If you don't believe me, uh, then let me challenge that. Uh, you don't need to protect them from doubt because there's really three kinds of doubt. First, we call it developmental doubt. If they're growing, they're going to think differently, right? As the human mind develops, you actually change your brain. You can become capable of deeper thought. So when they're an elementary school kid, we may, when they ask, you know, what's love, we give them an answer. In middle school, their brain has developed in a deeper way to think. That should not be a good enough answer anymore. And they should doubt if we keep giving them the same answer. Could you imagine if they're in high school and we, and we only teach them 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? Progressively, it gets deeper and more sophisticated answers as they grow deeper. So developmentally, they should start rejecting middle school Bible answers and start accepting more sophisticated high school ones. If you're in college at Florida State right now and you're like, man, my faith that I was given is nothing compared to these science classes. Great. Now let's get a college-level Christian faith because there's the answers out there. Doubt is a sign that you're growing, and if you treat it as such, it can be very, very healthy. Second is factual doubt. You haven't learned yet, so of course you're doubting. And as long as I get more information, come to my class and I'll give it to you, I'll stop doubting. Um, and sometimes we go through emotional doubt. This is seasonal doubt. Uh, you know, I just have a feeling of doubt. Um, this can be very dangerous depending on how we treat it. So if you go to the next slide, let me give you a quick, I think a practical tip here. When doubt can be healthy and when it can be unhealthy. Healthy doubt is this, when you see it as natural and now a chance to grow. Second, let me process it. That's the key part here. Oh no, I'm doubting. Go into the community. Mentors, leaders, parents, share your doubts and get help to grow. Brings people together. It uses everyone's skills. When it's unhealthy is when somebody says, oh no, I'm starting to doubt. I gotta hide this, right? I gotta, I gotta, I can't, I can't let anybody know this. We allow it to fester, we think it's a failure, and we treat emotional doubt as if it's permanent doubt. Everyone's gonna have emotional doubt. We're gonna have events that happen to us, trials and tribulations, it's gonna happen. And if you treat it like it's always gonna be there forever, it's unhealthy. If you understand, I'm going through a season, I've got this season of doubt, but Lord is good, I'm gonna put my, my community around me, then you'll get through your emotional doubts. But I want you to see Mosaic Church, uh, this third point, as a chance again in the next 15 years as the Lord continues to do a good work. Speak to full body, the head, the heart, the soul. Be a community and embrace doubt. Especially here at Florida State University, as people are growing, it can be healthy. But gather around that person. Normalize it in a sense. Not that somebody comes around and just, oh, I'm always doubting and that, and that we make that cool. That's, that's unhealthy. But if it's a way for us to then help this person share and, and have different mentors, doubt is actually normal and it is good. Let's embrace it. Lastly, I want to say this to you. Ministry work ultimately is in God's hands. Uh, if you read the parable of the sower, you know the story of Job. There's the path, the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil, right? The path, people don't even listen. It gets, it gets caught up. Uh, the thorns, it's the 
temptations of the world that choke out the fruit. And with the rocks, it's trials and tribulations. And the good soil hears, listens, and produces fruit. Here is a temptation that I don't want you to fall in, that I often fall in as a teacher. If I had just taught my lesson a little bit better, they wouldn't have been the thorny soil. If I had spent just a little bit more time on the anchor part of my lesson, they would have been more interested, and the fact that they're going away and not even listening is my fault. If I had just done more. I'm sure as a parent you think, if I have just done a little bit more here, if I had just not done that, now we, we want to be faithful and do as much as possible, but we can fool ourselves into thinking I am in control of how my student or how my child or how I respond to God. And the truth is, ministry work, according to the parable of the sower, is a bit of a mystery. Why is the good soil good soil? Because it overcomes trials and temptations and trials and tribulations. How can we guarantee that somebody will overcome those things? We can't. We invite them into the community. We encourage a full-bodied faith. We're okay with them doubting, and we want to get around them. But at the end of the day, it's a mystery, guys. It's a mystery. I had no idea when I first came to Florida State in 2001 that I'd be a Christian. First week of coming here, I became a Christian through Mario's ministry, and that the Lord would change me. If you told me as a kid that I'd end up being a Kentucky Bible teacher, I would have never believed you. <laughs> the mystery that God is working is incredible. I want to share with you uh, a last story about a student named Matt Lay. Um, yeah, if you want to go to the last slide, sorry. Matt Lay is a student that came to me as a junior, and he came to my apologetics class, and he's one of a couple students who will do this sometimes. They'll stay after and kind of argue with me. And it was very clear he wasn't a Christian, and it was very clear I wasn't getting anything done. <laughs> but we would argue for hours and write on the board, and I thought nothing was coming from this. Uh, so I asked Matt to uh, briefly share a word, he just a, a few-minute testimony here uh, of what happened to him eventually that honestly isn't me. It was a mystery that this would work because there's kids that I did so much more for and never saw good soil. Uh, but I wanted Matt to share this uh, with you, Mosaic, because believe it or not, you're responsible for where Matt is today. Hi, my name is Matt Lay. I am a intern with a college ministry called Reform University Fellowship. We're on the campus of James Madison University. I have been asked to make this video because I understand it's your 15th year anniversary. That's awesome. Uh, I just want to congratulate you guys on that. And, and man, I hope, I hope you guys have 15 more years to love Jesus together because that's really cool. So Kyle also asked me to make this video to share a little bit about how um, his influence just in my life. In addition, also a little bit about my testimony and um, what I do now and how that intersects with your church. So Kyle helped me at a, at a young age, I would say when I was about a junior and a senior in high school, he was a good friend to me. He helped me and challenged me in my ideas to have a more mature depiction of who God really is. He also helped me understand the reliability of the resurrection. That was something I was really struggling with um, when I was a junior and senior in high school. I was pretty, pretty much a non-believer, I would say. Um, although I don't necessarily know if I would say that myself at that time, I can say now that I, I didn't really know, I didn't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, 
And Kyle helped me come to that conclusion. But it wasn't necessarily the Bible studies Kyle did with me over John that summer and things like that. That was all good seed that he laid. But truly what happened was in in college, between my freshman and sophomore year, I'd been going to church a lot and trying to do this Christian thing, but I'd been doing it by my own power. And we all know how that how that goes. Um, I read this book by a guy named Tim Keller called Jesus the King, and I read the Gospel of Mark after that because it's an exposition of the Gospel of Mark, and it completely revolutionized the way I saw Christianity. I saw Jesus as a real person. I saw him as more believable and beautiful. I saw a perfect man who wept with Mary. I saw the perfect man who Peter fell before. I saw the perfect man um, that Stephen saw, the face of him. It's unreal, um, all the things that Jesus Jesus did and how he interacted with people. And that's really a pivotal moment in my life and how I came to be a Christian and come to love and know Jesus more. Um, so what do I do now? I, I work in college ministry, right? So I work with college freshman guys in particular for the most part. And I disciple them one-to-one and we also do small groups and large groups and i try to teach them how to read the bible um to differing degrees and i meet with a lot of unbelievers and i try to be their friend i try to get them to do fun things with me and i just try to build trust in those relationships and it's a great time so i know that your church was planted by a college ministry and so i think that's so exciting to hear um that just kind of the loop and Kyle will probably talk more about that but just how full circle this all is that's why I wanted to close with Matt I, I came to know the Lord through Kyle for Christian Fellowship a campus ministry that developed me and grew me uh, through Mosaic Church I grew I left some of you over the next 15 years will stay some of you will go but the ministry will continue mysteriously through you and somehow as a teacher it just blows my mind. Here's this kid uh, who I didn't know what God was working through me on. Becomes a campus. He, he's like, should I join a campus ministry? I'm like, yeah. And then later, he wanted to be business. He's an entrepreneur kind of guy. He gave all that up to do an internship with a campus ministry. The Lord works mysteriously. Over the next 15 years, Mosaic, do what you can. Community, full-bodied faith, apologetics, Embrace those who are doubting, but know the Lord works mysteriously. We can't control it. I can't control it, and that's good. Amen. The Lord is in control. That's what I've got for you. That's the message I wanted to share with you. Let's give Kyle a nice hand. Uh... We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.